Hello and welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is Lucy Gilman. I'm Deputy Editor at B2B Marketing and I'll be your host. Joining me today, we have Dom Monkhouse, business coach and author, and Richard Cook, Managing Director at Champion Communications. On today's episode, we're continuing our journey into PR in B2B with Champion by unpacking what the C-suite thinks about PR and the relationships between CEOs and marketing. So before we get into that, Dom, first things first, welcome. And could you tell us a bit about yourself? I ended up being a coach by accident. I ran, scaled, drove the marketing for a number of UK-based tech firms. And then about nine years ago, my youngest daughter was born at the time. And I thought I'd take some time out and do some coaching, learn some things. And I thought I'd get a proper job again, but then I realized that helping businesses scale uh, was the best job I've ever had. So I've been doing it now for nearly nine years. And along the way, I've written a couple of books and we do a weekly podcast and we send out a weekly newsletter to about 6,000 senior business leaders around the world. Amazing. And Richard, same question. Could you tell us a bit about yourself, your role at Champion and a bit about the research that we'll be talking about today? Absolutely. Thank you um, very much. So I'm Richard Cook. I'm the founder of Champion Communications and I began my career in sales and learned very quickly firsthand how difficult and how valuable it is to have trust, validation, credibility and obviously awareness when it comes to actually starting, nurturing or closing a deal. So I moved into public relations and have spent the best part of 15 years, really helping B2B technology companies grow, helping it making it easier for them to sell more by generating primarily third-party endorsement, whether it's journalists, analysts, awards, speaking opportunities, all those things that just help make the proposition more tangible for the B2B technology clients that we work for. We did this research because I really believe that public relations is a tool that is not being exploited to the full we started with the hypothesis that it's not really being fully understood as a business development tool i think it's sometimes seen as air cover or noise or just something that businesses feel that they have to do but we experience a lot of new briefs whereby um, the client doesn't actually have the intent of using it as a business development or even a sales enablement tool we wanted to unpack that understand what's going on and find out ways in which we can make it easier for the prospects and clients that we're working with to really appreciate and exploit the value of earned media and public relations as part of their business development process. Amazing. And so I'd like to start the episode by talking about the relationship between the CEO and marketing when it comes to PR. So according to the study, 49% of senior marketers find it awkward discussing PR with their CEO and 42% find speaking to their CMO really awkward. So Dom, why do you think that this number is so high and what do you think are some of the common challenges that marketers face when it comes to talking about PR? I I think some of it's in in was captured in Richard's introduction. I think that that difference about you know, Richard's view at Champion is, look, this is about driving sales. This is this is PR with a return on investment. Whereas I think a lot, a lot of marketeers, you know, uh, aren't in the sales driving business. They're actually in the, I'm doing my niche marketing thing and actually doesn't necessarily need to drive sales. 
can see how you'd fall out with your CEO about that. That would your lack of performance in that area might make you nervous. And then I think people are just thinking, how you know, if I bring up PR, maybe it sounds soft, maybe it sounds woolly. Um, there've been many occasions when I've driven a business as as the CEO or managing director, and um, the only money I've spent on lead generation is PR. And I think I so I would I would definitely be in Richard's camp, which is if you're not doing PR, then then you are probably either not directly driving sales that that you could be driving, or you're probably undermining the other uh, lead gen efforts that you're that you're running. That's, I think that's really interesting. I was very excited to be able to have Dom on this podcast with us because I've worked with Dom when he's had the marketing hat on, he's had the business leadership hat on, and he's also had both hats on. So I think it, it, he has that rare perspective of being able to see both sides of this, this debate. Um, I think PR is really, really personal. One of the first things that tends to happen when we send some coverage across to a client the, the thing that tends to, to, to be the first response, if there's ever a mistake, it's never about the messaging or it's about the, 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 the tone or, or any of the messages. It's, we get the first, the, the most immediate call is if the CEO's surname is spelled incorrectly. Because this is really personal. Everybody's watching, you know, family, friends, peer groups, colleagues, your next employer. It's a very, very personal thing. And I think that... Within that dynamic, you've got a PR team that could be external or internal that are going to be subordinate to the business leader. And you've also got often a lack of clear objectives. So, for example, Don mentioned um, sales. Sales are the, the, the core driver for many of the businesses that we work for. And yet measurement is done in terms of share of voice, it's turned number of clippings. It's not connected to bottom line revenue. So you've got this really murky environment whereby the CEO is both the, the servant of the PR program as well as the person who's signing off the check. He's also under pressure or she's under pressure to perform very well in a very public space. I think it is a perfect storm for an awkward relationship where clarity can really make a big difference. I was, just, I was just thinking, you don't want many of those calls. You're going to look a bit crap very quickly if you keep spelling the CEO surnames wrong, Richard. <laughs> I, I resolved responsibility for that because often it's the sub-editors that maybe are dealing with a complicated surname or job title. And, and I, my point is actually that the star of the show is very rarely or should very rarely be the CEO or the spokesperson. Actually, the, the whole point of doing B2B PR is often to talk about the product, the services, the benefits, the clients, the technology, and the impact that it can have on prospects. And I think because it's so personal, it's got a picture of somebody, somebody showing it to their family members. It's a, it's a, it's a, you can feel very self-conscious when you're in that space. I once had a PR firm call me about, I want to say three times in the space of five minutes because he changed his mind twice about the use of an Oxford comma in a press release <laughs> that we published. 
Um, but Richard, I want to go back to something you said about, you know, this murkiness around PR. And according to B2B PR for growth, 96% of CEOs see PR as a cost center rather than a revenue generator. And 75% flat out don't understand the value of PR. <laughs> so Tom's laughing again. Well, I feel like I, this is... Well, just I, let me, I, I'm going to jump in ahead of Richard only because, you see, in so many times I've been in businesses and... I mean, Richard will know this. I'm thinking about I'm thinking about some of our time when we worked together at Pier One, you know. And one of my colleagues would say, "Ring Richard, we've got a press release to do," and the press release would be about the product, and it would be dull as shit, mm. right? And so Richard would I'd give this to Richard, and Richard's like, "What do you want me to do with this?" And so we go, we'd go like, "Well, we'll just put it in a bin, and we'll tell them we did it, and like nobody will notice." Because so often what people are doing is they're thinking about we'll write a press release about our dull product. And then we're disappointed that nobody wrote anything positive about it. It's like, well, really, you've got to get better than writing the dullest press releases on the on the planet if you want to get coverage. I mean, it's much yeah. more than that. That isn't our normal PR strategy, by the way. <laughs> what, put it in the bin? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, that has happened, absolutely. And actually, I think that the thing that's alarming about this is that when you ask marketing directors how what percentage of their new business leads have been enhanced or improved or supported by um, public relations, 75% of them say that actually their new business leads have been enhanced one way or another by the use of public relations. So there is this mismatch in terms of um, the CEO sees it as a cost centre, but actually it is contributing to the bottom line. I think that's because we're measuring the wrong thing. As an industry, for years, the industry has been talking about share of voice. There was a period when it was advertising value equivalent. Um, we, you know, The number of big brands that rely on number of clippings, and I've got some sort of spreadsheet that compares May to June in terms of number of clippings, completely meaningless metric. Is it any wonder that the board looks at all these numbers and thinks, well, I, I, it means nothing to me. They're measuring the wrong thing or we as an industry are measuring the wrong thing. And the thing that we're measuring has got nothing to do with the objectives behind the investment that's been made. So there's there's a, a very easy misunderstanding or opportunity to underappreciate the impact that public relations and earned media specifically is making, particularly in a world where attribution is so important and so visible. SEO, PPC have all got these very direct links um, the validation of them is debatable, but there's a very direct cause and effect. Public relations may not be as clear cut because actually it's a team effort. So what's the right way to measure PR? If we're doing it the wrong way, what is the way that marketers can measure PR and you know reduce that murkiness around it and get C-suite approval? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, Dom, do you want to go first on this or do you want to start on <laughs> you, can, you can go first. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we start when working with any client by really understanding who do they want to sell to, speaking closely to the sales team, understanding the role that public relations is expected or needed to have within that business development process. Is it about starting new conversations? Is it about nurturing those conversations that have already started? It could be both. Is it about supporting the closure of deals? Again, that can be incorporated into it as well. Or is it about keeping the relationship alive after a deal has been done because of course there's always churn at the at the buyer side so understanding those objectives and then measuring the impact that coverage is having 
is a vital part of that process so that ultimately the marketing director can turn around to the board and say, look, 60% of our deals have been, according to our salespeople, supported by or initiated by or been made easier or accelerated as a result of the work that PR has been done. It's about joining the dots between the business development team and the marketing team. Sometimes we walk into a new client and we'll ask the marketing department, when we take a brief, we always want to speak to the sales team. You can see the blood drain out of their faces because they're terrified of the sales team. They don't have a relationship with them. The only time that they ever interact is when they're asking for a case study. And there's this this um, us and them kind of mentality. Public relations is a team effort. And business development is a team effort. And, you know, marketing people today have got targets. Sales people today have got databases these two worlds are colliding and pr is really in the middle and can act as a as a bridge between the two i think that the toughest bit in all of that is that i am not sure that i've worked i mean we've worked with hundreds of companies and i don't i can't think of one that could clearly articulate the answer to me when asked why does somebody buy from you and not from a competitor not one of the companies I've ever sat down with has been able to articulate that. So the brief that you get is probably a little bit rubbish unless you're dealing with companies that are way different to the ones that I speak to. But, you know, they, they say, well, our average customer is this and this is what we've been targeting. And then I say, yeah, but, you know, you know, if you position yourself in a way that you've got maybe up to 10 competitors and that maybe you've got something like 2,000 targets. Talk to me about what they look like. And I think mm. PR's got an amazing uh, position in this, which is when any one of those pros- prospects goes looking, it's just so that they can clearly see the bullseye and that they as a customer, a potential customer or client are in the middle of it. And yet so often companies are just, the, you know, why do they? why are they buying from us? Why are they not buying from us? They just really don't have that clarity. So the messaging that you get to deliver is probably uh, not as sharp as it could be. I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, the best stories that we ever come up with are always as a result of the meetings, not with the marketing people, but with the salespeople, the people who are making those calls, having those meetings, getting that rejection, and also getting that success. They can tell me what's interesting about a business. They can tell me why somebody's buying from them or why somebody's not buying from them. Much more... Um, often in a much more compelling way and in a way that will resonate with the journalists that I then have to talk to and perhaps a a more abstract marketing department are able to do. So we always make an effort to try and develop close relationships with those people that are on the front line because if they know what's working in terms of the sales conversations, chances are there's a version of that that will work with the press. Mm. Amazing. Um, I just want to go back. So throughout the series, something that's come up time and time again is the sense that PR is kind of seen as a nice to have rather than a need to have. I think we've spoken it on every episode that we've done so far, and I imagine we will for the rest of the series. But Don, where do you think this misunderstanding of PR comes from? Is it just down to measurement or are there kind of other factors at play? I see, I I think it fits in with that, with, you know, what's marketing's role and I I think that we've got, or particularly in the world I've worked in, which is sort of high margin, recurring revenue, technicals, technical services, is, you know, I've got two core 
uh, if you like, customer groups. I've got my employees. I want them to see whatever marketing we do and think, I'm glad I work here. I've got existing customers and I want them to see any marketing that we do and go, I'm glad I'm with them. Richard mentioned that in terms of sort of churn reduction or maybe a reduction in buyer's remorse. Um, and, and then after that, then I've got business development. And I think so often people are focused solely on that business development piece. And, and that PR, you know, you, Richard said, oh, it's very personal. You know, the CEO is going to show it to their parents, you know. Uh, oh, look, mum, I'm in the FT. Look, mum, I'm in the Daily Telegraph. And this is, this is a 55-year-old man. It's not, it's not a 22-year-old uh, kid running some technology startup. Um, and, uh, or, you know, they're sisters and brothers. Um, and, uh, and so I, I think often people get, um, well, they try, they try and drive dull stuff. And then they're missing the fact that this should really be about um, targeting the things that, where, how do we make a difference? What are we, what problems do we solve? What's the job to be done? And I think if you can get into that, then, then uh, PR has a role around, not a soft and fluffy role about branding. I hate, I just, I, when people say, oh, that's, we're spending money on brand. It's like we've deliberately decided to call it brand because we can't measure its effectiveness. And I think PR gets put in there. I think it needs to be taken out of there and we need to say, if we're going to invest in this, how do we get a return? And then how will we measure our return? And Richard suggests, you know, looking at the deals that the salespeople are doing and saying, which of these deals are being influenced by this PR? Now, as you've you also said, there's often a gulf between sales and marketing. So I don't think I don't think that's an easy thing to do because most of the time the salespeople, if you question them, would say, marketing are doing nothing useful to drive our ability to close and win deals. And so if you can get them to say anything positive, there's, it's, it's worth having that because it closes the gap as well as the fact that it might drive some sales. I, I completely agree with what you just said. And, and I would add to that, I think that it, you could move B2B PR from brand and marketing where it does have a benefit, but actually if you've moved it and started to view it more as sales enablement, I think that's a step in the right direction. The other thing that we um, do is we make it very, very easy for our clients' business development teams to be able to access and find and share coverage that has been generated by the, by the business. And then we go back and ask them, who did you share it with? How did you share it with them? What was your objective of sharing it with them? What was the impact of sharing it with them? And we collect all that data in a live spreadsheet so that we can, at any particular time, see what types of coverage are having the best impact or the most impact in a positive way on the business development process. Don mentioned dull press releases, which every PR person who's listening to this will be able to relate to. One very, very good way of being able to demonstrate the, the things that are working is by asking the business development people, what did you use of all the, this, this dynamic catalogue of third-party endorsement that we've got here? You've got 10 pieces of coverage this month. Did you use any of them? Did you share them with any prospects? What happened? We can very clearly see that a case study, a profile interview, maybe a comment that was in a news piece, they have been used more effectively than that product announcement that you did that nobody paid any attention to. That means that you can make the program more efficient, more effective, just by gathering that information. And it shouldn't be about noise. And I think one of your questions, your question originally was, you know, how do you stop it from being nice to have? Strip out the noise, strip out the fluff. 
stop doing the air cover stuff that doesn't make any difference and focus on the things that your business development team are finding useful when it comes to generating revenue. I, I, one of the other things is when you say product announcements, I, my recollection is when we did, when we looked at what did we got coverage for at Pier One, 65% of the coverage we got was around the culture and the type of people we hired, which yeah. underpinned the fact that we were a, a business that was in, in the service business. Mm. And so it was about, we are a service business. And if you are, if you, if you're critical IT, if you want to put your critical IT somewhere with a company that cares about service, then the PR we did was about bolstering that. It helped us hire the right people, which was great because we couldn't deliver the service without them. But it also, so that's sort of an intangible element of the product mix that we were able to just keep going on and on and on and on about. And I think that also, I remember the first, one of the first announcements we did for with you, Dom, uh, when you were launching Pier 1 in the UK, was the Foxtrot Oscar bonus, where you were offering to pay people thousands of pounds to leave your company if they were not committed to delivering the kind of eye-watering customer service that you became known for. That was um, a personality-driven piece. One could, you know, it, it was it was very much led by that image that we had of you with loads of wads of cash in your hand. And I think we got on page three of the Sun at the time, which was. <laughs> I don't think at the time you had an office. I think that this was um, this was before you had any customers, any office. Already, we were able to, with that prospect-centric kind of message talk to employees, potential employees rather, as well as establishing your business as being one that was going to be committed to eye-watering levels of customer service. Um, and it was very difficult for the board that were in Canada, first of all, to read this because the Foxtrot Oscar bonus to a Canadian audience sounded a lot more racy than I think it does to the, to the UK. <laughs> but, but it was very obvious that this was about driving the business forward. It wasn't air cover and fluff, and it wasn't about a widget. It was about this is the mission, the vision of this business that you can do business with. Well, and it also what it did is it. We I think we got in the Metro and the Sun. We're like we're in all the national papers with it. And then what happened is we got a load of follow up other journalist uh, interviews on the back of that, where people said, "I'm." These journalists said, "Well, I'm going to come and get a job with you, and uh, I'm going to get my two thousand pounds." It's like if you if you could get a job here, it's like as if you just apply and somebody hires you. You know, you actually have to get tested, and we have to prove that we want to hire you. You've got to have the the right uh, the right attitude and aptitude. And so it was just it, it was it was really good. It was a really good piece. And from time to time, people still find it on the internet. So the other thing is about the longevity of this stuff. You know, that was that was a long time ago, and yet you can still search for it and find it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It seems to me it's all about making your PR work smarter, not harder, to use a very cliche saying. Yeah, you have to do that in the UK because there's such a limited amount of media available, even with the, the advent of the, the internet. High trust media is still as scarce and as precious and as sought after by big brands as it has always been. Um, I am biased, but I think that the British PR industry has to work a lot harder than those on the other side of the Atlantic because we just don't have that parochial regional spread of media so our stories have to be more impactful more consequential and more useful to the reader fundamentally amazing and just kind of to go back to the board and wrap up our conversation Dom 
what do you think are some of the ways that marketers can really go about changing the perception of PR at that kind of like C-suite level? And do you have any bits of like tried and trusted, tried and oh my god tried and tested wisdom i made this mistake last time we recorded <laughs> this is becoming a reoccurring thing i just should stop saying it do you have any bits of advice? <laughs> yeah do you have any bits of advice and methods that you can pass on to our listeners i i think if you're trying to persuade the board to well frankly if you've got a great if you're the cmo and you've got a great relationship with your board you won't be trying to persuade the board of anything you'll just be showing the board your results with some regularity and they'll be letting you get on with it but if you are in a position where you're trying to change your mix i i think it's to take the wisdom we've had from richard today around that you're going to spend money with a view to drive new recurring revenue and that you're going to engage with the sales team and you're going to track the the things that you do in the future so that you continually do more and more of the things that in your marketplace with your sales team are shown to be effective and that it's part of your business development spend and not part of just some sort of brand or air cover or nice to have thing that it's it's about driving revenue i even the clients that we work with that are you know growing 100% year over year are always looking for new things to drive revenue um and so I think it just fit in perfectly into that into that segment. Amazing. Well, I think that is the perfect place to leave it. So Dom and Richard, thank you for taking the time to join me today. And to our audience, thank you for tuning in. To find out more about B2B PR for growth, click the link in the description box and make sure you tune in every other week as we continue our journey into PR. So thank you and goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Goodbye.